first and foremost, thank you, thank you, thank you for watching this right now. It means you are a listener of ours. It means you uh, answered our survey, which really helps us out. And it means I'd like to thank you are a passionate race fan, just like we are. And we're going to have a great discussion today about the championship race and end this season on a high note. Uh, David, let, let me just get your impressions on all this because this is the next step maybe in our podcast and it is the culmination of a great season of uh, listeners and interaction and all sorts of stuff. And this should be a good little episode we're about to have because it's a big day. Or a train wreck for all we know. You know, I mean, the odds are small that it goes poorly. But no, to echo your sentiment, thank you to everyone that took the time to fill out a survey it sounds crazy. Not a lot of people want to fill out surveys. So at the very least, we can create um, this, something This we call it a pop-up pre-ratio, but just a reward, um, a celebration for the championship race that we're about to watch. And uh, we've got a lot of notes. We've got a lot of digging to do. Alan, I'm excited to go through all four of these title contenders because this is going to be one uh, heck of a race. Yeah, and, and that's what we're going to do here. It's going to be just like an episode. We've got our notes. We're going to treat it just like David and I record this every week. But we're going to um, open it up and get some questions from uh, you all. And I can't wait to do that. We're going to try to get to as many as we can. But as you know, because you are listeners and great listeners at that, we didn't preview each driver on this week's episode. We're saving that just for you all who are watching right now. So that's what we're going to start with. But, David, I'm going to throw you a curveball that's not on our script right here. Uh, look, all year we have been plugging beyond on offense, stay out, get the clean air, be on the front row for that final restart. And David, we are 0 for 2 so far at Phoenix between Sheldon Creed and Austin Sindrick. Two times now, tires have won. They've overcome not being on the front row. Are you a little worried about today and making a call? I'm not worried in as much as it's going to be different across the board. So just as it stands, the way that Phoenix is constructed, where the start-finish line is, into a dog leg, it's less of a traditional restart and more of a super cross hole shot. Mm-hmm. And it kind of stands to reason that, like, Sheldon Creed, an off-road uh, trucker, is going to figure out his way through that. Um, but last night in the Xfinity Series race, we saw Austin Sendrick take the lead on that restart, but you'll notice he didn't make his move on the whole shot. Part of that, um, he did it on the traditional restart aspect. It was within the restart window that he had to rough up Justin Allgaier a little bit just to make his pass. Um, It's going to be difficult for any team to do that today. The big difference that we're going to see tonight is talent. Uh, these guys that we're going to watch in the cup series are far more experienced about how they protect, how they play defense. We didn't see a lot of defense the last two nights. We saw a lot of offense. Um, and that's okay. That's understandable, especially if you have new tires, but the intelligence to flip the switch and play defense, I think we're going to see that, uh, a little bit more tonight. Um, I can tell you that three of the four championship contenders have gone to motorsportsanalytics.com this week and have looked at the plan your restart page. I don't know if they have Wi-Fi in the Dawsonville pool room, Alan, but three of the four have read motorsports analytics, understands uh, the percentages behind the the different uh, restart grooves. 
Uh, I think we've got a knowledgeable base of drivers that will be attempting to restart tonight. I don't know that it's going to play a factor, but it wouldn't shock me that there's a crew chief or two that watched those races uh, the last two nights and have adjusted their plan. Uh, Brian Wilson, the crew chief for Austin Cendrick, um, said that he was talking with Jeff Stankwitz, Sheldon Creed's crew chief, about what they saw in the truck race and why they made the call that they did. And that is what influenced Brian Wilson's call, not anything else, not previous track history. It was that. So it's possible that a crew chief makes a decision that he otherwise would not have made, and that's something to keep an eye on. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, I'm glad you handled that first initial question, David, so we'll get to our program here. But yeah, we're going we're gonna to break down all four. You referenced Chase Elliott. Let's start with him, David, because Chase Elliott in the number nine car has the fastest car in the Cup Series this year, and he also has the fastest car at the 750 horsepower tracks this year. How we, we love to talk about speed on positive regression. Uh, 40% of the time, the fastest car wins the race. That's a good percentage if you have the fastest car, of course. Yeah. How much will that speed play a factor today? Uh, I, I mean, it, it is. So if you, if you look at the, the 750 tracks as a whole this season, uh, we are at 54.5% uh, win rate if you have the fastest car. Uh, Chase has done it twice. Uh, he had the fastest car in the Daytona road course race and the fastest car at Martinsville. Now, it's going to be a bit different. I mean, it's easy to point to the nine and to Chase Elliott and say that this team was designed for 750 tracks and this driver's skill set is best suited for the tracks that have defined this year's playoffs. But those two races in particular – are a little bit different, and and I implore people to comprehend the braking zones at those racetracks. Uh, Travis Geisler, competition director at Team Penske, praised Chase Elliott's ability. Uh, he said, called him the braking zone master. <laughs> Not that that won't be important tonight, um, but it's going to be a diminished importance. Whereas on road courses and on a flat track, tight corner like Martinsville, uh, brake fade is a possibility. Chase Elliott's biggest strong suit, I think, as a race car driver right now, is that he does not abuse his brakes. I don't know if that's on the table uh, tonight because we're going to see different lines around Phoenix. We're going to see different brake throttle cadences and... Alan, it's not as if this is a strength that's been completely neutralized. I spoke with uh, one engineer this week. He was kind enough to show me some telemetry from this spring's Phoenix race. And of the four championship four drivers, Chase Elliott actually used the most brake. Hmm. So it's not as if it's a strength neutralized. It's just as if he abandoned his strength altogether. And that's going to make this a little bit more even. So. Fast car, um, he's going to have to put that to the test today. It's our understanding he's already failed inspection and will certainly have to start from the rear. Yeah, let's talk about um, that. One of our questions from Robert House, okay. great question. As of 1.07 p.m. Eastern, he is going to the back having failed twice. Now, he still has to go through again. But as of right now, he's only starting in the back. He's right. got speed. He's got the talent and just everything you broke down. Uh, how much do you put into starting in the rear of this field? Short race, David. 
It is, but track position is always a concern regardless. Uh, if you're going to hear on the telecast today, they're focused on track position. Guys, they're always focused on track position. That's always real. So this is a blow to the nine teams' title chances, but it's not over. Uh, if we consider what we saw in the spring race, the expected adjusted pass efficiency of the race winner increased by five and a half percentage points. That doesn't sound like a lot. But that is huge. That completely changes the expected slope of passing. Um, and to that end, a fast race car, even if they're buried in traffic, can probably get through that traffic. Chase Elliott is a prodder. Uh, when he is setting up passes, he's pretty meticulous. He's not going to just uh, throw a car in a corner and try to complete an inefficient pass. That isn't what he does. Super late models taught him well. Um, but one thing I think that we should keep an eye out today, yeah, there's going to be a strategy component. Alan Gustafson's going to have to help that. But as we saw uh, this spring, Joey Logano, 56 positions gained was his, was his surplus pass differential. Um, it's possible. Uh, Chase Elliott can absolutely make his way uh, from the back to the front. You mentioned Alan Gustafson. Let's talk about him. And while we talk about him, David, send in your questions. If you have any Chase Elliott-specific questions, send those in. We'd love to answer those. We'll get to some of them. But while you guys do that, let's talk about Alan Gustafson, David. Uh, veteran crew chief, obviously, in terms of playoff experience, has a ton of it. This is the big time. This is the final four. Strength or liability when it comes to the nine team, Alan Gustafson? Ooh, it's a good question. I mean, if, if you... If you consider what we've talked about in the last few weeks, and I've harped on about uh, Adam Stevens ad nauseum, but just because you're not good in, at one aspect of crew chiefing doesn't mean that you're a bad crew chief. Where Alan Gustafson is a good crew chief is that he can find speed in a race car. And more importantly, this year, that nine team has gotten faster as a race progresses, their fastest quarter of a race is the fourth quarter. And that's where you want to be. Um, that's not something that just happens. That requires good communication between a driver and a crew chief, but it also involves a crew chief guessing correctly on the diagnosis and making the proper adjustment. And that is why Alan Gustafson's a good crew chief. But as you mentioned, yeah, I mean, he's going to be a liability strategically. If we look at the, the sum of his numbers, 111 positions lost the season on normal tracks, 151 positions lost overall. Both of those are the biggest positional losses in the series. Wow. Uh, I would, I would argue that we saw maybe Alan Gustafson's best race from a play calling standpoint was Darlington. They did not win that race, but they were in position to win that race. And it was in part because Alan Gustafson read correctly and uh, short pitted and was going to two stop that final green flag run. He wanted Chase Elliott on fresh tires, turning fast laps. Um, this race is going to be shorter. The, the same thing isn't going to apply today. Um, if, if you're a Chase Elliott fan, you're likely hoping that your driver wins it because if you're putting this race in the crew chief's hands, it might not end well. All right. Um, we're still waiting on some little few Chase Elliott questions, but David, we're getting a lot of questions about restarts. So let, let, let's keep answering those on, only because 
again, what we've seen, like, like Puck Nerd wants to know, and um, Justin Morey, thank you guys for these questions. I mean, how do you square conventional restart logic, again, if all else fails, stay out, defend your position, with what we've seen the last two nights? How do you, uh, what's the best way to wrap your mind around this, and where do you want to be on these restarts? I don't want to give up the lead. Like if I'm if I'm if I'm leading, I would stay out. I do not want to give up P one. But if you're not, mm. and mind you, this is for all the marbles. Okay, like Brett Moffitt real- didn't give up the lead and was pissed that he did did not choose to come in. And Justin Allgaier, yeah. we know his his strategy was set last night, so there was nothing for him to do except stay out. But it didn't work. I mean, it, it didn't prove to be the best. He wasn't in the best position because he didn't have those freshest tires. I've tried to get you to watch soccer alan and (laughs) you resist so much there there's a term called shithousery in soccer where it's a little bit of dark arts happening brett moffitt was shithoused at the end of that race ben rhodes roughed him up grand Enfair came around on the other side it was almost planned if i didn't know any better um but that's that's what that whole shot sort of sets up if you're the leader you can't predict that that's going to happen or, or I don't know, maybe you do if you know the driver who's going to inevitably, inevitably be behind you, but even that is going to be difficult based on who pits and who doesn't. So you make the best call for you. Uh, in last night's race, just e- even looking back at the replay, I think Cendric would have been fine. Maybe he mm-hmm. wouldn't have won the race, but could he have stayed out and beaten Justin Allgaier? Yeah. Uh, and eventually he got by him. So I, I think if it's me, I do revert back to conventional restart logic, even though the beginning of that restart is wide as that, that is with the dog leg. It's unconventional, but I would stick with what I know. All right. Well, let's move on. We're going to hit, hit us with some Brad Kislowski specific questions. We'll try to answer those, but David, let's talk Brad because, uh, the big news for him is that, you know, he's bringing this undefeated car, right? This undefeated chassis that just yeah. did great in New Hampshire, dominated in Richmond, I believe, and he's bringing it here to Phoenix. Uh, we, you know, not everyone has taken that same approach. I think when we get to the 11 car, we'll talk about that. Then bringing a whole new chassis, a new ride to the racetrack. Brad Kozlowski is bringing a proven winner. Do you see that that continuing today, that performance at a track like Phoenix? If, if you ask anybody in the, in the industry, they are petrified of this race car. I mean, if, if, if there have been wow. two, if there have been two chassis this year that we're going to uh, just remember uh, about this season, it's going to be the one that Rodney Childers and the SHR four team built for Harvick that won both Michigan races and won Indianapolis. And the other car is this one. Um, Team Penske builds fast race cars. And as much as I've thrown Jeremy Bullins under the bus, he has built a fire breather of a race car for this two team. Um, the New Hampshire win was dominant in Brad after the Richmond win. He didn't do a burnout. He said, nope, it's two for two. This one's going to Phoenix. Uh, and that's the plan. And it has been noted and discussed among those in the industry. There are some Chevy engineers that saw what happened last night with Austin Sendrick. Uh, they are trying to connect the dots. They understand what the two car has. And yes, this is a significant advantage. Um, the only way it isn't, I would, uh, I would caution folks to watch what happens in the early stage of this race. If they don't appear to have 
lights out speed, I don't know that they ever will because of the four teams that are in this race, three of them get far better as a race progresses and have a killer fourth quarter. The two team does not. They haven't done that this year. Uh, as a matter of fact, their central speed rankings, it shoots from 8.44 for the whole of a race to 8.89 in the fourth quarter. So they sustain, but they don't gain. And those other uh, guys are gaining two ranking spots. It's going to be difficult uh, to to pull off, but if they're good in those early stages, uh, yeah, I feel pretty good about Brad Keselowski's chances today. Good stuff. All right, so late race speed, potential weak spot. RPM Thunder had a question specifically for Brad. You know, we always talk about stats. Uh, I know we've talked about his 750 horsepower speed before on the podcast. Any other stats stand out, Brad, specific that that you would put in the positive column for a race like this? Uh, In the positive column. I don't think we're going to see too many dumb risks taken on restarts. Um, Brad... Brad has watched enough tape and it shows in his short runs across the last few years. It's not, it's not a taking risk for the sake of taking a risk kind of philosophy. Of course, if the race is on the line, I'm, I'm sure we're going to see something, but I'm talking the middle portions of the race. These restarts are going to be so hectic and so panicked because this is going to be where the majority of position changes take place. And there, there is this common denominator through these three Penske guys and four, if you count Matt Benedetto, where they don't worry so much about that. It is, it is sort of a, a press pause. We're going to make the choice we're going to make. We're going to play offense when we should play offense and defense when we should play defense. We're going to talk a little bit about this when we get to Joey Logano, but Keselowski fits into this mold as well. So I, I think it's the understanding of when to take risks versus throwing it away in the middle of the race. All right, let's do that's risks for the drivers have to take. Let's talk about risks uh, for the crew chief, Jeremy Bullins. We, we've talked a lot about him, David, over the year. You've mentioned him. Uh, he In past years, he hasn't been the best decision maker. You know, perhaps that was one of the factors that led to a crew chief shakeup heading in to 2020. So let's talk about the impact of Jeremy Bullins specifically today. What are you looking at for Brad Keselowski's crew chief? Well, I think relatively untested in a potential scenario, but his year to date, based on what we've seen from him in the past, has been fantastic. Uh, 11 positions gained this season on normal tracks, but the retention is bad. It's 44% all in. Uh, so Keselowski has most often lost his position when relinquishing a spot during a green flag pit cycle. There have been 21 green flag pit cycles consisting of a two-spot loss or more, and that's compared to 14 gains under the same parameters. So they're most often losing spots. But, Alan, I want you to consider and I want our viewers to consider that we haven't seen this two-team be in the lead and have to make a game-changing decision this year. They've they've usually been the ones that have put themselves in position to capitalize on the mistakes of others. We don't know what happens when they are the other, right? When when they are in the lead spot, and we might see it. I mean, it it might it might take place at the end of this race. But Jeremy Bullins is going to be put into a situation 
where he's going to have to make a correct decision. We don't know. We haven't seen it. Um, and his career to date prior to 2020 uh, doesn't lend much optimism. Um, I see a question from, from David Koppel about comparing Bullens and Paul Wolf's first year success. Um, how do I evaluate Bullens from, from where he was last year? I think it's been fantastic. I think he has a driver in Brad Keselowski that has this plethora of experience. And Bullens mentioned this this week in the crew chief availability, but it was really taking a team and this was Ryan Blaney's entire team and taking what they gained themselves and then dropping in Brad Kozlowski's experience. Uh, I think Brad knew he was going to have to crack the whip on a lot of these pit decisions, and he did. And for the most part, it's worked out. And some of these wins, that Charlotte win keeps coming coming back to my mind, but they were just in good situations, um, able to capitalize on the misfortunes of others. I'm feeling good about Brad Keselowski today. They've got the yeah. big Miller light glass from 2012. I did an A-list segment on Race Hub and just hearing, I mean, not that you want to envision Brad Keselowski showering every morning, but he, he maintains that every morning he gets up and once he hits the shower, he thinks yeah. about championship number two, perhaps the speech he would give, how he would feel. Um, and this is the first time he's had a shot at it in a few years. So it's uh, yeah. big, big to think about what number two would mean uh, for number I see, two. I see a good question from um, from Justin Morey, and he asks, if Brad gets title number two, should Penske be quick to re-sign him next year since his current contract is only through 2021? That's an angle. It, it's, this isn't something that we can quantify on this kind of a show, but you you do have to think is – Brad Keselowski motivated to not only win this championship, but also to defeat the very driver, the stablemate, Joey Logano, who was given the arguably best crew chief. Uh, I mean, Brad lost his entire team to this guy, um, and he was shortchanged this year on the, the one-year deal that he signed as a free agent. I think there's a hunger there for Brad. I mean, we've seen it. We saw at the end of the Martinsville race. Um, that's not... Yeah, when he needed it, it, man, that was awesome. I mean, it wasn't a great car for Brad, but yeah, he he kind of willed that finish yep. into existence. And I, I kind of think, yeah, we're going to see a, a hungrier than usual Brad Keselowski, which to me is a very dangerous version of Brad Keselowski. Looking forward to that. And you mentioned his teammate, Joey Logano, who he'll have to compete against for a title. Also, Joey Logano going for his second title. So send us any Joey Logano-specific questions if you want those answered. But um you know, he's done this before, David. Obviously, Joey Logano's won. He won the last race in Phoenix earlier this year. That's yeah. a plus on, uh, you know, on his column right there. Uh, he did it right, right? He won early and then he won late in the season and now he's competing for a championship. It's like the, the easiest formula for the 22 team. He has crew chief Paul Wolf. Um, you wanted to talk about specifically with Joey Logano restarts. We've talked a lot about restarts already, but wh- why Logano and his restarts and what they could to make or break his race? So we've talked about his restart ability, you know, prior to the season in the past. And what makes him so good is that his actions, whether he's in the preferred groove and on offense or in the non-preferred groove and on defense, they're definitive actions. Um, in talking a couple of weeks ago with Kurt Bush, Kurt told me that before he gets to turn one on a restart, he has a plan and it is apparent when watching Joey Logano that he also has a plan. 
Um, I spoke with a spotter, TJ Majors. They said that they review stats. They watch tape. Uh, Joey takes pride in his ability to restart. And we see that. And we saw that this spring in the Phoenix race. Alan, one of the reasons that he won that race was 12 spots gained on six restart attempts. That's massive. And that is putting himself in these, in these situations to capitalize on short runs. I think if this is going to be a race where there's a high volume of cautions and there was a high volume of cautions in the spring, then it caters to a Joey Logano race. Uh, where you're going to lose him this season, he's a minus passer for the season, uh, is the long runs. And that also sort of speaks to Paul Wolf's inability to find spots during green flag pit cycles. But again, this is a team that just gets faster as a race progresses. Okay. Oh, then, then, um, balance those two things. Just like you said, though, about getting faster, but also the the potential lack of long run speed. Because, uh, we just had a question from, uh, Stuart Mills Wells. If this race ends with a long run without Joey in the lead, can he go take it? Ooh. I don't think so. I, and and I'm not the only one that shares that hesitation. Um, Travis Geisler, the, the team's competition director, said that Phoenix, comparing it to Homestead, there's not going to be a lot of going back and forth through the running order uh, just because of the still the, the difficulty to pass. Um, and I can point to Joey Logano's passing numbers and restarting numbers in this race in the spring, but... He did that, but they were so high that we can't expect that to happen again. And that caution volume, it was, there are 3.2 restarts per 100 miles. Is that likely to, to, to duplicate? I, I don't know. And, and you can't, and that's not, this is, this is why I say throw caution trends out the window is you can't plan for what you think the race is going to do. You can just plan for what you do well. That's what they have to do. And this is such a tremendous short run team that they they have to go in with that philosophy. Interesting question. Another one from RPM Thunder. Thank you for that. Uh, what makes Paul Wolf such a good crew chief despite his historically not great green flag uh, positionals like stats, I guess, is what he's asking. I don't know. That. Yeah. GS, sorry, guys. GFPC. What, I mean, where are Paul Wolf's strengths, I guess, is the easiest way to put that. Speed. Hot, <laughs> nasty, badass speed. Uh, no. Yeah, I, he's... He has traditionally, perennially, been Penske's fastest crew chief. His teams are the fastest. Uh, he is also has a very good knack, and I think it's been made more impressive this year that it continued from Brad Keselowski to Joey Logano in that his teams get faster as races progress. Uh, I mean, they have the biggest closing kick of the championship for 2.47 ranking spots on average in central speed from the whole of a race to the fourth quarter. Um, that isn't easy to make a car faster on the fly or to adjust to a changing track or conditions. Um, what have you is very difficult. And that's going to be one of the reasons that he's going to continue on past Joey. His teams are going to be competitive every year is he has a knack for that. That does matter. Um, again, strategically, sometimes 
sometimes it doesn't pan out. I've, I've, I really question Penske's strategy decisions across the last several years, but where they don't lack is competitive speed and they put themselves in good uh, situations. And they've got two of them today. Uh, that, that, that's big for that yeah. team. You, you just yeah. wonder how the, you know, how that all comes together when it, you know, when they stop being teammates. You assume it's when the green flag drops, but we shall see. Uh, and David, the last one, the last of the four, and the most interesting to talk about because this has been, we started off this uh, year on the podcast, David, with such a good episode with the privilege of talking with Denny Hamlin and Chris Gabehart about the Daytona 500, how they could do it, their approach to it. And when you go back and listen, I mean, David, they gave us the blueprint and their plan for winning the Daytona 500. And then they went out yeah. and did it, right? I mean, they, they did, did it. They yeah. gave it to us a week ahead of time. It was just so cool to, uh, having that privilege to, to hear that and, and the thinking. And it is his age 39 season. We know how close he's come to the championship. All those storylines about the only thing he needs in his career for that resume is getting the title. Another near career year in terms of wins. We love the age 39 season here. What a way to cap it off. I mean, for this podcast to cap off an age 39 season with a title would be a feather in our cap, David. But let's talk about Denny Hamlin. Of all the places, of all the years, to switch this finale to Phoenix and what he's done at, at these type of tracks this year, is Denny Hamlin the underdog all of a sudden? Yes. Yes. Wow. He's the underdog. Um, I, I, there, there are a number of things that you can point to. Uh, if you, if you buy into speed as form, this is the slowest of the championship four across the last eight races. They actually rank 11th in the series in speed through that stretch. Um, this similar to what Kevin Harvick's team did this year. This 11 team went out this season and attempted to be historically great. And what we've witnessed was something very close to that. It was, this has easily been the best iteration of Denny Hamlin that we've ever seen. Uh, I think he's at a 9.7 place average finish that has sustained across the last 71 races. Um, He's a believer in age, and certainly the age 39 phenomenon didn't let us down. But at the same time, these other teams have built 750 horsepower programs, and this is where this is where they're thriving. And I can't say the same about about this 11 team. It it, it I mean. It really is something. And if and if you want to go back and look at the manner in which they won races this year or their season as a whole, uh, I would suggest that this 11 team seems to be, at least their character, is that they are very good for two-thirds of a race. And that final third, it can be in the, the beginning, the middle, or the end, is where things tend to go awry. Uh, after last week's episode of Positive Regression – you and I talked off mic and you said, you know, Denny Hamlin didn't really show up at Martinsville. And I said, Oh yeah, he did. He won the first stage and he finished third, in the second stage. He took 18 points from the first two stages. And that was a monumental 18 points. Yeah. But then they disappeared. Huh. And, and, and that is, 
that's what you worry about. That's what you worry about here. I mean, there was, there, there was one interview. Denny talked about the car that he had at Bristol, uh, in the summer race 2019 was one of the best they had. They were the fastest car at the beginning of the race. They ended up passing Matt DeBenedetto to win the race. And in the middle of the race, they just had damage. They had problems. Chris Gabehart told us it was performing triage for the, for the second third of the, the race. And if you go back and look, yeah, Denny Hamlin doesn't dominate. And assuming that all four guys today don't drop the ball, I, I, I don't think any of them are going to bring duds. So you're going to almost have to be perfect in order to ensure that you're better than the other three. And I mean, that's why we've seen the the series champion end up winning the final race is that emphasis on perfection. Yeah. They have been asked to elevate their game and a perfect race car usually means a winning race car. And that's what we're going to see. But if Hamlin and Gabe Hart fall back into this thing that they have been doing, this is going to be very difficult because these three other guys have shown they have race cars that can go out and dominate at tracks like this. All right. Um, awesome stuff there. We have two good Denny questions that we want you to dive into. Dave D and Anthony Soto, uh, you know, talk about some of the weakness you just did, David, but what is Denny Hamlin's biggest strength maybe this year or just overall that could propel him to the victory today? And, uh, Dave and Anthony Soto wants to know, you know, Hamlin's best strategy, maybe the 11 team's best strategy, but, uh, talk about the pluses for a race like this for Denny Hamlin. Uh, I think one answer can probably tackle both questions, but I think his biggest strength is his crew chief today. Yeah. Uh, All right. Let's talk to Chris Gabehart. But, but I think that the reason why is because if you are a fan of any of the other three, I think you want this race to be in the hands of the driver without question. With the 11 team, if there's a decision to be made and Chris Gabehart's the one making it, you feel okay. And, and whoa, 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 whoa. wait, I can hear Denny Hamlin fans yelling. What is that? Oh yeah. They're still yelling about that big piece of tape from last year, David yelling at you for just saying that. So let's talk about that. Yeah. But that's, but, but that's, that's a long, that's a long run on a, on a mile and a half track that we're not going to see today. That part's going to be irrelevant. I think realistically, if there's going to be, Positional gains made through strategy. I would not expect this to be some kind of long run race where things could flip. I think where we're going to see that is maybe early on if there are successive cautions with the competition break, the stage breaks, and then maybe something else afterwards, you can envision a scenario in which one of these teams stays out, takes to does something simply as a track position gambit. It might not sustain, but if you hit another caution on a short run or maybe even an intermediate run, then you can hold that position. And I think that's going to be the kind of thing that Chris Gabehart is looking at is how to get around these other cars without actually having to pass them. The answer might be falling into that succession of stops. So, that's one thing to look at. Um, on the, on the green flag pit cycles, okay, let's, let's talk about it. Just in the instance it occurs. Um, his history has been okay. 
his, his retention rates are far more palatable than all the other crew chiefs in this race, 62.5% overall. And, and here's, and here's the, the, the better stat, 53% retention when pitting from the top five. Uh, that is high. That is far ahead of the series average. And it means that more times than not, Denny Hamlin keeps the top five spot on a green flag pit cycle. That is huge. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the spots gained. There have been 15 green flag pit cycles this year in which this 11 team gained two spots or more. That was with Gabe Hart on the pit box. That is the fourth most among uh, playoff crew chiefs. And that is despite the four race suspension that he had earlier this year. So there is a possibility of more um, strategically. It's been a great season and, and Denny's passing restarts production, everything. He's probably the Jack of all trades and, and, and maybe the only one of the four that can say that. But the problem is he's a master of none. And if this race breaks in a certain way, he's going to be at a disadvantage if he isn't out front. So the, the length of this race, it's so short, 300 miles. Does that strengthen your positives or exacerbate your weaknesses? Yes. <laughs> so it, on the script. I'm sorry. It's how the it's how the no, it's how the race breaks, right? Because one one thing, whether it be a caution or a long run, holds more importance to the overall story of the race, just because this is you know a, a truncated event. Now, I I will say that there have been a lot of questions, and there there probably have been think pieces um, written among other NASCAR media folks, and I'm not trying to call anybody out, but the notion that this being a short race is some sort of a curveball, it's been this short for a while. Mm-hmm. Teams teams understand it. If you see the curveball enough times, you know what's coming. So I don't think anyone is going to be caught completely off guard. It's just the way cautions shake out or just things that occur during a race, it it will be more heightened and your ability to adjust to that more important. All right. Uh, any more questions, please send them in We'll uh, about any of the drivers. But we've gone through all four. David, how about a little rapid fire of the four drivers? Who's the, be- who's the best restarter? Joey Logano. Who's the fastest? Chase Elliott. Who's the best strategist in terms of crew chiefs? Chris Gabart. Who do you want on a late race restart? Joey Logano. Where is, what's Brad's biggest strength? Good enough at everything to get away with anything. Okay. Oh, I like that. Uh, what else should we cover? Um, Chase Elliott's biggest weakness. Ah, the guy on the pit box. Interesting. Uh, Tyler Peck, non-championship four driver. Which will, which will be the biggest factor today? These races break so weird. I mean, there's always some, deference you know it's just how it's played out the last few years that that no one else really seems to play a factor everyone just defers to the four other drivers uh you know maybe that's by choice maybe that's just how it plays out but david do you see any non-four non-playoff driver factoring in today the fastest car in the spring race belonged to kevin harvick uh so i would expect him to be fast today but Kyle Busch still has a chance to uh, to win this. You know, one of the strengths that Joey Logano has is that he is one of three drivers this season to have had 
uh, was, was averaging less than a one position loss from the non-preferred groove on restarts. The other two are Martin Truex and Kyle Busch. And Kyle Busch's non-preferred groove effort in the spring race was substantial. Uh, he gained, I want to say, 14 spots on four non-preferred groove restarts. And that's incredible. Uh, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with as well. Uh, he may not have the speed. Uh, I would I would think if there are team orders at play, that mm. Denny Hamlin's car got the majority of the love this weekend. But he, uh, Kyle Busch, is a is a good race car driver. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't count him out either. Yeah. Did you learn anything from uh, the truck race or the Xfinity race that could factor in or and or surprised you or changed any of your views heading into Sunday? Um, no, just been one, one thing happening can sort of change it. Uh, I, I don't, I don't believe the race is going to be won in the final 50 laps. So it is going to be imperative that all of these teams just position yourself in the best possible scenario. And even, even if it doesn't break your way, I mean, we talked about, the Homestead season finale last year, Kevin Harvick brought a short run car to a race that ended on a long run. It wasn't a mistake. I mean, I just I can't call it a mistake because if that team was going to win that race, it was going to be in that manner, and that's how you have to approach the race how you how you are going to win it, as opposed to how you think it's going to break. Because how you think it's going to break might not suit your strength. So play to your strengths. I mean, it's it's an obvious thing to say, but we've seen teams in the past lose sight of that. And I uh, hope to see that today. I mean, one of the reasons that you can you can bemoan the playoff format and, and who's who's in the championship race and who's not, but one of the things that I like about it is that it is a mechanism that has caused uh, four teams to elevate their performance. And I enjoy seeing that. I like seeing what that looks like. So four teams um, playing to their biggest strengths, that's going to create a, a very good show. If it ends on a long run, who's the best team or, or fastest team slash best driver, if those are two different things? Fastest teams. Track position is going to matter in that regard, and so is clean air. Um, just on paper, it's Chase Elliott just based on the speed. But it's if it's a long run – um, where you are in the running order is going to matter. Um, clean air uh, greatly affected the central speed rankings in the race there this spring. Um, it's a it's a sensitive uh, dynamic in that regard. So again, position yourself and be ready for any and all outcome. All right, good stuff. Uh, one, we'll do one more question. Is it remarkable that the championship four have almost always been the top four at Homestead, given that they do not always have the fastest four cars all year? And does Phoenix make that less likely? Have the, I guess the fastest four cars. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I think if, it's, the, it's you, the three previous races, right? I mean, those those three races play so much into who goes to Phoenix that you kind of throw things out the window, especially with different packages. Yeah, yeah, the the package is one thing, but if you consider that every team was building a mile and a half program to compete cuz that was the track most prevalent on the schedule and it was the track that decided the championship, um it made sense that the four 
best sort of traversed their way through the season and then got to the finale and had fast race cars. If that changes today, it's because we don't have four lights out 750 teams. And I'm looking at you, Denny Hamlin. That's the <laughs> one that might, that's the one that might be, be off. But at the same time, like, I don't, to expect that any of them are going to just lay an egg, I, I, I don't. I, I think all four are going to come to play. At some point, they're all going to be at the front of the fields. Um, there might be some other competition around them. I mean, Kevin Harvick's got nothing to lose and he's got a 10 win season to gain. Um, so there's something to be said for that, but this race is among those four. So that, I, I mean, yeah, I, I would, I would expect all four to be very fast. Yeah. Don't forget in the spring, Brad, Joey, Chase all led 60 plus laps. Denny Hamlin did not lead one at Phoenix. Just something to think about. Dave, you want to make a championship pick? Ooh. Put you on the spot. Brad Keselowski's car is undefeated. I think it stays that way. All right. I'll, I was going to go with Brad, too. Uh, I know my dad's watching. He's yelling Joey Logano right now. Oh. Uh, I'm sure. Connecticut, Connecticut strong right there. Connecticut pride, baby. Come on. 860. Yeah. The 86-oh-my. That's what we call him. But, uh, uh, yeah, send us uh, send us your picks here on the chat. But uh, we, have, we have a little more business, just a, a little more to take care of, David, because we've had a lot of help today getting yes. this broadcast out there, not only from the listeners who helped us and are watching right now. Thank you guys so much. But. David, we've had a lot of help broadcasting this right now. Yes, shout out to Roundabout Productions and their charity, Extra Life. Extra Life is an organization that started in Texas to help fundraise for Children's Miracle Network hospitals. And one of their fundraising drives is happening on November 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, the folks at Extra Life, including our producer Michael, will go live on Twitch TV for 24 straight hours of video gaming. <laughs> it will include incentive-based hijinks. If you want one of them to shoot uh, themselves with a paint gun, they're going to do it. Uh, legs waxed, <laughs> whatever, anything goes. And it's for a tremendous cause. Go to Twitch TV, uh, twitch.tv backslash roundaboutpro or on this very YouTube page. Uh, participate, donate, and, uh, and, and we'll turn this episode into podcast form and I will include a link in the show notes. Extra Life on behalf of Children's Miracle Network, November 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Yeah, you all support us, so please support them because uh, they, they made they helped make this happen today. So, uh, David, good stuff. I'm glad we, we pulled this off and we had a special edition of Positive Regression for everybody to listen to. Uh, you know the spiel we're about to do, but don't forget, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Luminary, and TuneIn. We're available no matter your device. Our entire catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. If you like what you're hearing, we know you do because you're here listening to us, but please leave us a rating or a review. That stuff really does help people, I promise. So it helps our little podcast grow. So tell a friend. Uh, thank you so much, though, for the support you're already giving. And, and again, thank you to Roundabout Productions, Michael Levine, all the stuff you're doing, all the stuff your family must be going through this year or this weekend. Uh, thank you for all the contributions you've made to this sport. And uh, thank you guys for listening to Positive Regression. David, anything you want to add? Uh, just enjoy today. I mean, yeah, this it's is, be awesome. you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's remarkable that we've made it 36 races um, given what is happening in the world 
Uh, somehow through the middle of a pandemic, this has been something to enjoy. So uh, it's a sport. Don't take it so seriously, but enjoy it. Uh, and Alan and I have been happy to be uh, along for the ride this whole time. We thank you again for taking the survey. Um, that is important to us. Uh, we are going to be active behind the scenes uh, during our hibernation months in trying to make this podcast uh, better than it already is. It'll sound the same next year, but behind the scenes might change. Um, and that is going to be with your help. So again, we appreciate that. We hope you enjoyed our show today. It was a blast. All right. Thank you, everybody. Enjoy the race. And thank you for listening to Positive Regression. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.